You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Arise! Arise, riders of Theoden. Spear shall be shaken, shield shall be splintered. A sword day, a red day, ere the sun rises. Ride now, ride now, ride. Ride for ruin and the world's ending. Does anyone know what quote this is from? Anybody in the back? Chris, Jesse? <laughs> well, if you don't know what this quote is from, this is from one of the greatest movie trilogies ever made, The Lord of the Rings. <clears throat> and so I'm going to set the scene for you. Three movies have culminated to the battle that is about to partake. The enemy's taken over the outer city. The orc army has besieged the defensive wall and they've pressed forward to the final defenses of Gondor, the city of Minas Tirith. If the enemy wins this final battle, they will take over and the, the good guys will lose. All will be lost. And so it all looks bleak. And it looks like the only line of defense is King Theoden and the riders of Rohan. And they come over the hill, and they're face to face with an army of orcs that outnumber them three to one. And they look out over the landscape. They see this, this formidable foe, and they're scared. And King Theoden gives that speech that I just said. His goal is to encourage his people with his words so that they will have the courage to face this enemy, even though they know that they are all probably going to die. And so these riders, they, they charge the enemy with as much courage as they can muster. And they're successful. They charge this orc army three to one, and even though these odds, they are able to take over the north side. But in the midst of this battle, King Theoden is killed. He dies an honorable death in battle with his people, and he willingly gives his life for the good of his kingdom. In Lord of the Rings, King Theoden is my favorite character. Because his life just kind of follows how most people are. He is a king. None of us are kings, though. But he is a flawed king who finds redemption. When we first meet King Theoden, he's on his throne. He's downtrodden. He's been corrupted by the enemy. And eventually, <clears throat> through, the, through the main characters, he is able to be freed from this corruption, and he proceeds to lead his armies into battle. And he dies 
an honorable king, just like the kings of his past. And this is obviously just a movie, but we see similar comparisons from King Theoden to King David, who we've been studying all summer and who, honestly, who we studied for the past like year and a half in 1 Samuel. David, he's also a highly regarded king who went through a dark period, and we see that through his adultery with Bathsheba and his killing of his soldier Uriah. But ultimately, he's redeemed by the prophet who's with him, Nathan. But these two kings' biggest similarity is that despite their reign being remembered as good and right, they were still just as flawed as everyone else. And I'll go even further. Every authority on this earth that has ever reigned, that will ever reign, anyone that is in a position of power is also just as flawed as we are. And so with that, Today we end our summer series, Sacred Exhortations. We'll be in Psalm 72, the last chapter of Book 2 in Psalms. Um, and I'm going to pray, but if you have a digital Bible, I'll be reading out of the ESV. And if you have a bulletin, your scripture will be on the back. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, this time of just being able to be here in the time of worship. And just, it's an honor to be able to bring the message, but I just pray right now that you speak through me. You keep all pride, keep me humble. And I just pray that this message speaks to the hearts of everyone in here, Lord, even myself. And God, we pray for this in your name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bible, Psalm 72, I'll read the whole chapter. It says, Of Solomon, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people in the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound. Till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all day. May there be abundance of grain in the land, on the tops of the mountains may it wave, may its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed. 
Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And so we get to this last or this last chapter in book two of Psalms, and we get a psalm from Solomon. It comes at the end of David's life, and it is a beautiful prayer to the Lord to show his favor and righteousness on him because he's about to reign. It is clear that Solomon has a strong desire to follow his father's footsteps and reign with God at the forefront of his kingdom. But then running parallel to this psalm, we get a prayer for the future king who would reign forever. And this king, this eternal righteous king, is Jesus. Daniel 7, 13 and 14 says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus came and died for us. He fulfilled the law that we couldn't do. He fulfilled the prophecy, and then he ascended to the right hand of God as our righteous king, the king of kings. And so today, at the very end of your bulletin, you have your main point, and I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. Our main point today, before we ask the question, before we do anything, Jesus is our righteous king. Jesus is our righteous king. What does that even mean? Why would we care about having a king? What does Jesus, being our righteous king, have anything to do with us today? And so that's going to be our question today. Why should you want a righteous king? Why should we care? And so let's, let's hop into Psalm 72 again. The first thing that Solomon prays about is for God's blessing to be just and righteous. He says, May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity and the hills in righteousness. Let him defend the cause of the poor. Bring deliverance and crush the oppressor. One of the first things that a king would desire is to be just in all his decisions. He would need to be good and he would need to have righteousness. He would need to be ready to defend against civil unrest and he would need to fight against those who seek injustice. And so point one, why should you want a righteous king? A righteous king demands justice. A righteous king demands justice. Probably one of the, the biggest stories in Solomon's reign 
is in 1 Kings 3. In 1 Kings 3, we get a story of two women, and they live in the same house, and they have each have a baby that is three days apart. And in the story, one of the mothers, while in her sleep, she rolls onto her child in the night, and it dies. And instead of just grieving, this woman decides to swap her dead baby with the other woman's child. And obviously, this, this mother instantly notices that the child that is in her bed isn't hers. And so these two women take this quarrel to King Solomon. And we'll pick up in verse 23. This is 1 Kings 3, 23 through 28. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and get half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, Because her heart yearned for her son, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall neither be mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is the mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Now, first off, what kind of person do you have to be to not only steal another woman's child, but then the best solution is to have the child cut in half because if she can't have it, no one can. What a crazy story. Luckily, Solomon, the king, demands justice. Solomon is a wise king and he knows that the true mother will not want her child to die. And so... The two women have their responses, and the true mother is shown. Solomon, led by God, given wisdom from the Lord, he was the most wise king we ever had. But Solomon did have one glaring flaw. Solomon had a love for foreign women that were not from his nation. And these women would lead his heart astray from the Lord. Scripture says Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And in 1 Kings 11.4, we see that when you have a thousand women from all different nations, it says, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. Solomon was flawed. But Solomon had a true desire for his people to prosper. And he wanted them to be righteous. And he states that in his psalm, 
Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. Defend the cause of the poor. Give deliverance to the children of the needy. Crush the oppressor. He had his people's good in mind. Yet, Solomon let his flesh get in the way of God's calling on his life. He embraced the oppressor, and his sinful desires crushed him. And if we look forward today, in America, we don't have a king. We have a government. We have a president. And I'm sure we can all agree that our government is not perfect. It seems that whoever takes the office, someone is going to get angry. It seems like there's injustice happening all the time. And this psalm gives us a good idea on how to act towards authority. And it gives us a hope for our future king, our reigning eternal king, Jesus. Psalm 72 is a prayer from Solomon on himself so that he can be a good king. And we can take that and make that a prayer for our authority. The government is our king. It is the authority over justice. And as Christians, we are told that we must make a priority to pray for those who have authority over us. Defend the cause of the poor of the people. Yet we don't really see that. We should be praying, give deliverance to the children of the needy. And we don't really see that. We say, crush the oppressor. We don't really see that. But luckily, we know that Jesus, our righteous king, has already crushed the oppressor through his death on the cross. He has delivered his children and we will be with him in heaven one day. And he will, at the end of times, make his enemies a footstool under his feet. And to that, I say amen. But I'm not going to lie, as I, was, as I was studying for this sermon, I was a little convicted. Am I actively praying for my government? No. Are we actively praying for our government? And I just find it so hard sometimes to do that because I'm, I listen to podcasts every day and I listen to some political podcasts and the whole time I'm just like, oh my goodness, there's so much evil going on. And it's Jesus who we can cling to because He's already obtained victory. So no matter what has happened, no matter what happens, if when it gets worse, we still have hope because we can pray for our authorities and we can cling to Christ. And so let's continue. Psalm 72, verses 5 through 7 says, May they fear you while the sun endures 
and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. So Solomon, the first thing he wanted to do was he wanted to be just. And the second thing that he is praying for is a prosperous kingdom. So our point two, a righteous king builds a prosperous kingdom. A righteous king builds a prosperous kingdom. And we, we, we got to get this out of the way first. A prosperous kingdom is not just a kingdom that is extremely wealthy. A prosperous kingdom is a place where the people can thrive, which in turn allows the kingdom to grow. It is a place where peace and righteousness can flourish and the people can flourish and the economy can grow. And it takes an authority that demands justice, which is our point one. It takes the, the points that we're going to look at later. But King David, if we look back to his life, he was a man after God's own heart. He, he definitely demanded justice. He applied this to his own life. He was repentant. He was empathetic. And we see that when he doesn't just celebrate Saul's death, even though Saul tried to kill him on many occasions. David was kind-hearted, but that didn't mean that David was soft. For David to build a prosperous kingdom, he had to go out to war. He had to fight for his land. He shed blood. His enemies feared him. King David was a kind-hearted, battle-ready warrior. King David and King Solomon, they prioritized what was good. And that bled into their kingdom being prosperous. The golden age of Israel was during the reign of King David and King Solomon. And they just so happened to be the kings who followed God most. King David followed God his whole reign, and then it wasn't until the end of Solomon's reign, when he was old, that it says that he turned his heart astray from the Lord. And the same thing is true of our righteous king today. Jesus is building a prosperous kingdom. It is ordained by God that a prosperous kingdom for his children be established. And we have to be cautious when talking about prosperity again because we say that a prosperous kingdom is not an extremely wealthy kingdom. And so when we bring that to our personal lives and we say that God wants us to prosper, it does not mean that he is going to bless every person with abundance. It does not mean that we're going to have 
an extreme amount of material things, it doesn't mean that we're going to have perfect health because that wasn't Jesus' purpose when he came to earth. And it's not his purpose now. Jesus came to build a prosperous kingdom, not a rich kingdom. And also, there are times when Jesus does bless in abundance to some. There are times when people do live to be a ripe old age and never had many health problems. But we see this with people who hate God. And we also see this with people who love God. Their material things are not a product of their faith in Christ. John Piper has a great quote. He says, Jesus came into the world to bless us in some measure now, but mainly he's trying to forgive our sins, close us with righteousness, make himself our treasure, seal our eternity forever, and then put us to work in the world. He fixes us. He sanctifies us. He seals us. He makes us a treasure. And then he sends us out to help his kingdom be prosperous so that other people can be prosperous. For us to prosper, we must know who our righteous king is. We must work so that we can bear fruit. And we must rely on him to do his work in us so that we can go out and do his work. And the work might be hard, and we will see peace on this earth in our lives. We'll see hardship through our work. But at the end of the day, God did his work in us so that we can stand before God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And we will reap the infinite blessing and abundance of being with God for all eternity in an unimaginable prosperous heaven. I even think that Isaac and Cobb were talking about this in their podcast yesterday. But a righteous king must demand justice. He is building a prosperous kingdom. And point three, he will be honored among the nations. A righteous king is honored among the nations. Psalm 72, 8 through 11 says, May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. So he's building a prosperous kingdom. He's just. And now we go forth and he wants to build his kingdom so that's it's expansive and he would be honored throughout the nations. It is a desire of the king to be revered. He wants to bring peace. 
It was his desires that his kingdom would rule from sea to sea. And when we look at King David and King Solomon, if we go back to that again, they both ruled vast kingdoms. David achieved his through conquest. And Solomon's kingdom would grow because he would marry a lot of foreign women and the foreign rulers would help bring, bring forth honor among the nations. It would allow him to make treaties with the nomadic tribes in Arabia. They would send gifts and tribute. But neither King David, neither King Saul, nor any of the kings after that ever truly ruled from sea to sea. And we look forward to the end of the psalm when he says, Bless his name forever. He has an everlasting kingdom. Let me see that from Jesus. But this, this prayer of ruling from sea to sea, it's, it's a promise given to Abraham. He says, On that day the Lord made a covenant, covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then it's reinforced through Moses. In Exodus 23, 31, I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. Abraham and Moses were promised that their offspring would rule from sea to sea. David was promised that the coming Messiah would be from his lineage and then when we get to the first chapter of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1 is a lineage from Jesus back to David and David to Abraham. <coughs> and so through Jesus, we see that this everlasting, this kingdom ruling from sea to sea is fulfilled through Jesus. And thus when Jesus was resurrected, he ascended to heaven and he now reigns on high as our king of kings. Revelation 1.5 And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus is the king of kings, the ruler of kings. One day... Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Regardless of whether the nations honor him on earth or not. <clears throat> Jesus, in the end, will be honored by the whole earth. And I think we see today that this honor for God, for Jesus is in a huge decline. A few weeks ago, um, a local Lululemon, and if you don't know what Lululemon is, it is an athletic store, uh, mostly for women. I think there are some men's clothes, but a Lululemon had a couple men come into the store and try to steal thousands of dollars of merchandise. There were two women who were working in the store at the time, and the people run in, they grab a bunch of clothes, 
one of the ladies pulls out her phone, starts recording, telling them to leave. They call the police. Um, these men were eventually caught. But how they were caught was because these women recorded them, knew who they were. Later that day, they were caught because they found out who they were. And so we, we see that and we're just like, yes, these women, they, they did what was right. Their bravery helped them be caught. They were helped. They were like, the reason that these men got arrested And the local news story the next day was two women at a retail store, Lululemon, are fired for breaking the policy at their store. (laughs) This athletic store fired these women because their policy states that they aren't supposed to do anything at all when someone is stealing. It is a sight to see these days. There is no honor in being a, in a high place of authority. There is no honor in CEOs of companies. There's a lot of selfish agenda. There's a lot of cowardly negligence. We see that from the top down, from our top government, all the way down to a boss at, at a Chick-fil-A. I'm not calling out our Elizabeth and Chick-fil-A. I'm just saying that as an example. Evil kings and rulers will spend their time tearing down their people and they'll cut themselves off from the world. And sometimes it looks bleak, but when we know who Christ is, God doesn't tear his people down. He builds them up. We see through the Gospels all these people who are weak and needy and need a God. And Jesus comes up and he heals them and he saves them. And then he goes and dies for all of the earth. All who believe. He does what is good to the Father, which in turn is good for us. He's peaceful Yet he won't let his enemies bring blaspheme to his name. He will be honored among the nations. And it it seems that though Solomon knew that his people would need a wise, righteous king to help lead his kingdom to get rid of injustice, to make peace with the nations, he knew that his people also needed help. So let's go to our final point. Psalm 72, 12 through 14, For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor, and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Point four. A righteous king redeems his people. A righteous king redeems his people. If we circle back to the story of Solomon and the two mothers, it's clear that Solomon had the wisdom to judge the wicked mother and to redeem the mother who just wanted her child to be okay. It was up to King Solomon to use his assets 
assets, his resources, his power to not take advantage of the people. He could have easily took advantage of the weak and needy, but he did everything in his power to deliver them, to save them and to redeem them. Because a king's people should be the most important thing to them. You're ruling a kingdom and you want your kingdom to prosper. If your people are being beaten down and teared down, then you're not going to have a kingdom that flourishes. Even on a smaller level, good business owners know that their greatest asset is their people. When mishaps happen, they don't yell at them and tear them down. They strive to build an atmosphere that is uplifting and they only get rid of the people who are damaging the business and others around them. And Jesus' sole purpose in coming to earth was to come and die so that his people could be redeemed and he would get all the glory. Jesus established his kingdom. In fact, even before Jesus was born, the entire story of the Bible involves redemption. Adam and Eve fell, yet they were redeemed. The Israelites failed countless times. Look throughout the entire Old Testament. They were constantly redeemed. We see people falling in the New Testament and they're redeemed. Any single person that has ever lived, if they've accepted Christ, they've been redeemed. You can be redeemed. If you don't know God, He cares about you. He loves you. And He says all you have to do is believe and confess in Him and you will be in His kingdom. You will have a righteous ruler. Because we don't want to stand before God and be the enemy that is under His foot. Because His wrath will be poured out. Unlike all the kings we have talked about today, do you think that King David and King Solomon had time for every single person at all times? No. But Jesus, a righteous king, has time for you every second of every day. You don't have to contend for time with Christ. He's here, He reigns on high. He's prosperous, and he is willing to redeem. <clears throat> Jesus came as a righteous king to break the divide between God and his children. And so those who come to know Jesus are redeemed. Isaiah 44, says, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. So to the poor and the needy who have already been redeemed. We give God all the glory. And to those who are poor and needy and in need of help, look to Isaiah 44, 22, because Jesus will blot out your transgressions. Everything Jesus does leads them to God. And we can even see our righteous king working for the future.
So why should you want Jesus, our righteous king? He demands justice. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, our justice should be hell. But God's children have been saved through his mercy. He's building a prosperous kingdom. Jesus told his disciples that he is going to prepare a place for his children and that when he comes back, he will take them with him to reside in perfect peace with him forever. And I can't wait. He will be honored among the nations because every person, saved or not, will bend the knee to him who reigns on high. Finally, he is redeeming his people. All who have repented and believed will see their true final redemption through perfect sanctification. There will be no tears. There will be no pain. There will be no sickness. We will receive a new, redeemed, holy body, and we will reign with our righteous king forever. Our life is driven by leaders. We have leaders in our job, in our local government. Parents are leaders over their children, over our country. And all of them, at some point, will fail you. But our psalm today gives us an outline of what a great leader should be. It gives us an outline of how we can pray for our leaders. And it gives us an outline of the hope and the redemption that we can have today. And it gives us an outline for the hope and the redemption that we will have in the end. And so... We have a righteous king who is not flawed, who gives us hope and who will never forsake in his people. Let's rest in that hope today. If you have any questions about the message, um, I'll be over here. And there are elders throughout. So if you want to come and talk and pray with me or anybody, we'll be willing to. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the time here today thank you so much for putting people in power and the ones that you do we thank you for the ones that are good and are just and who try to implement Psalm 72 and I just pray that we can all have mercy on our leaders so that we can pray for them and hope that they will do what is right and we just know that no matter what they do, you have ultimate authority. You are the one that they have to answer to. We just thank you for that. Thank you for being our righteous king. Thank you for sending your son to die for us so that we can come to know you, Lord. We love you. And we praise you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.